Good morning, Revolution. Ha ha, it's not morning. It's evening. You guys are dumb. Um, just kidding. I'll repent for that later. I don't know why I brought my Bible up here. I'm not preaching tonight. Thank the Lord. Um, I'm a little out of breath. I had to run home real quick to get the SD card to copy the sermon on, so um, I apologize for that. Uh, I'm not good with the responsibility, I guess. Um, as you guys saw, this video uh, Chris Jones put together, um, just a few things that uh, Revolution is doing, small groups, um, Bible study stuff, uh, ministry in the East End, and you know, just some, some stuff like that. So if you guys want to get more involved, um, we have those options, um, and hopefully you can learn more as David is going through this uh, sermon series of Worship, Grow, Serve. Okay, so the first announcement I want you guys to um, really hear is about the nursery. Um, you guys are doing a really good job of inviting new people. Uh, we're seeing a lot of new faces and just more people coming to Revolution, which is great. But um, a lot of these folks have kids. So we're going to start splitting these um, these groups up into, because there's so many kids, into like a younger age group and an older age group. Um, and we'll get more news on you know how we're dividing the groups. But Try and, uh, if you guys can, volunteer your time, you know, because we're going to have two more groups, we have to have each week an extra person in the nursery. And instead of having the same eight or so people doing every other week or every week being in the nursery, Autumn's in there almost um, every other week at least. Uh, so it'd be really helpful if you guys can just, you know, say, hey, you know, one, once out of every two months or so, I can be in the nursery, a service, and it's really help out everyone else so they're not carrying the whole weight. So if you've got some spare time, and you do, you come here anyway. So volunteer if you're able. Um, Bible study, these this uh, next few days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 8 o'clock, Massey Hall. If you guys want to come, uh, it's in room 211, I think. Um, we're going through Galatians, chapter 4, verses 11 through, or 1 through 11. Um, so come out. Guys, it's really fun. Uh I really enjoy helping out with that, and I know everyone else does too. So we're learning a lot, and hopefully we can keep growing um, as as a body in a small group setting. Also, um, most of you know we have the East End Ministry, as you saw in some of the video stuff. Tuesday nights around 6 o'clock, um, we like to go out and pick up some trash. And, when, you know, that just consists of, you know, a handful of people. Um, we we want to keep... Um, pressing that so we can get more people helping out and, and maybe just keep spreading this. Uh, picking out trash, you know, is not the, the main objective, although it does help out the community, but it allows uh, people to see out there what we're doing and that we care for them. And we really want to to drive home that idea that, you know, we, we're here for them and, and we really want to love on them and build relationships with the people in the East End. And so we also have Friday nights, you know, weather permitting. Uh, we're going to keep doing that. Um, keep posted throughout the, the as you know it gets colder and, and rain but Friday nights you know we're going to have the East End cookout I don't know what we're going to do when maybe something else we'll do during the winter time but uh, East End cookout you know we have some food grilling or, or baking or whatever just to hand out to people in the community they can come and really you know put some food in their bellies but hopefully also to just tell them about Jesus and uh, the love God has for, for these people because, you know, if, we're not, if we don't tell them, no one else is going to. And as you can see, we have the table set in the back. 
So hopefully, guys, if you're able, you'll stay after the service, and we can have some food and uh, eat as a body of believers. And there's one more announcement. I think it's about the uh, the alcohol addiction group. If you guys know of somebody who wants or who is addicted to anything, um, this group meets Monday nights. There's, uh, I think there's still flyers out there for you guys. You know, um, it's mostly for people who who know or have someone in the family who is addicted. And that's just to inform us um, of what they're going through and how to really help out with them. So if you guys have any questions, uh, just just look on the little flyer. Okay, so today I want you guys, you know, to talk to someone you don't know and shake their hands. So what's up, Revolution? Let's do it again. What's up, Revolution? That's what I'm talking about, man. So we are in our second week of this little mini-series of Worship, Grow, Serve, and we're in Grow. Uh, We're going to be talking about spiritual growth tonight. We're going to be talking about, uh, you know, what is it? What isn't uh, spiritual growth? What keeps us from growing, and how do we grow? Um, That's what we're going to be taking a look at this evening. But before we do that, I want to talk about my job, where I work at. I work at a store called Mule Town Mini Mart. Yeah, in Minford, Ohio. Anyone? Minford? Yeah, everyone's white in Minford. If, I know none of you were looking around, but it's true, man. It's just the white trash just society. It's beautiful. Budweiser, NASCAR, and Copenhagen reign supreme where I'm from. And if you don't get the joke, then you've never been out there. I think the only place worse than Minford is South Webster. If, has anyone ever been to South Webster? If not, don't. It's terrible. There's nothing. Uh, but uh, So my mom, and she's here, so that she'll appreciate all this. She owns Mule Town Mini Mart. And, uh, and I work for her. And what you need to know, if you couldn't guess by the name, Mule Town is about 20 years behind everything technologically. Uh, there is, we have no computer. There's not one computer in this entire store, I kid you not. Which is incredible that we have survived for 30 years um, with no technology. Did you know that um, you don't have to email things? You can still fax. I thought that that died in 97, but you can still, you can still fax things, believe it or not. Uh, we do it all the time. There is no electronic inventory. We hand write. No joke. You guys might not know this. In a store, you have to do an inventory once a year of everything you own. There is no electronic inventory at my mother's store. You hand count every single item in a convenience store. It sucks. It is terrible. If you've never counted, like, individual pieces of bubble gum, you just want to die the whole time. Uh, our schedules that people get, some of you probably get printed out nice schedules with the company logo on it that tells you when you're supposed to work. Not at Mule Town. We do handwritten, super white trashy. Here, David's handwriting. No one can read it. People end up not showing up to work on time because no one has any idea what I wrote because I write like a sixth grader with a broken hand. It's terrible. Um, like a, there, We have a crate with all of our invoice. I'm telling you guys way too much stuff, but this is just good for me to go off my chest. Uh, we have a, this is therapeutic for me. You'll, you'll, I'll preach later. Um, we, ha, we have a crate with all of our invoice papers. If you want to know how much you paid for something a month ago, good freaking luck because you have to sift through 457 papers before you can get to the one paper that you need and it's all in a crate. It's terrible. Mom's laughing. Mom gets it. She knows. And, but the, the, the coup de gras, right, the, the best part of the whole thing is we have outhouses, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. 
We have outhouses. I don't mean a bathroom outside. I mean like Andy Griffith, Mayberry. There's no running water. You don't flush anything. You just do your business and leave. It's nasty. And I have to clean these things every day. Every day. And people are gross. Right? Now, there are, there are plenty of things that we could do, Mom, to change things in the store, to make it more effective, right? There are, there are plenty of things we could do to be more effective business owners, right? Like maybe getting a computer so we don't have to do everything by hand. But I'll, I'll lay off you now. Um, but what does that have to do with spiritual growth? Why did I just tell you guys entirely too much about my stupid job? Because some of us, myself included in some areas, but some of us are still stuck where we were when we first met Jesus. Kind of like how we're still stuck in 1985 at Mule Town. Um, we've not grown at all. We're still struggling with the same things. We still have a very small, minimal knowledge of who God is, of what he expects from us. We are, have grown ineffective. And there are things that we could be doing to make ourselves more effective for the gospel, but we don't. So I, I, I'm throwing this to you. This isn't just like me to have like some kind of platform to be able to preach a, serv- a sermon on grow to you guys. But consider this, um, the, the uh, apostle Peter, he, he references stuff like this in, in his uh, letters, First and Second Peter. He says things like um, grow. And whenever you grow in all of these different areas of your spiritual life, you will um, not be ineffective. So I think the converse would be true then that if you're not growing, you will render yourself ineffective. So what we need to know is how we're supposed to grow if we're going to make a difference and serve Jesus the way that we're supposed to and grow to be more like him. So let's go to, we're going to go to one section in scripture of all, like the multitude of section on spiritual growth. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. This is where we're jumping off this evening. If you want to, you can flip there in those blue Bibles, or if you're lazy like me, there it is. <laughs> it's always already ready to roll. Also, if you don't have a Bible, or the Bible you have is really hard to understand, take one of those blue Bibles with you. That is our gift to you. We want you in, in the Word. It's a good translation. It's super easy to read. So Colossians 2, 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul writes, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. All right, so we're saying we must continue to follow, follow Jesus, to grow, to be like him, that our roots, right, our spiritual roots must grow into Christ, reflecting on uh, what he's done, who he is, uh, where I am in relationship to him, that we have to grow to be more like Jesus, that our whole lives, everything that we think, everything that we do has to be built on who Jesus is and what he has done. That's what it means to grow in Christ. And if we do that, then we will grow in the truth of the gospel, and our lives will change as a result of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us. Right, so before we really roll into what growth is, I think I want to get some things out of the way. We're going to talk about what growth is not for a minute, because um, I don't want anyone to get uh, confused or have a misconception about what spiritual growth is. So a couple of these are comforting, and some of these hit me right in the mouth when I was studying for this. So our growth is not our right standing with Christ. Your right standing with Jesus, right? Your, uh, your justification to God, your redemption from your own sin came as a result of Jesus dying in your place for your sin and you exercising faith in Jesus, trusting that he and he alone 
was enough to cover what you've done. Nothing can shake that, period. The moment you exercise faith, it's, it's a miracle. Instantaneously, you've been reconciled to God, and nothing shakes that ever. Not your obedience, not your disobedience, not your stagnation, not your spiritual growth. Nothing can shake what Jesus has done. You did not earn your salvation. You cannot unearn it. So I just want to get that out of the way. Your spiritual growth, your salvation is not dependent on that. Um, your spiritual growth also does not affect God's love for you. Something that the Bible teaches in, in Romans, Paul says, you know, while you were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God showed his love to us, and while we were yet sinners, that he sent Jesus to die in our place. If God loved you at your absolute worst before you had ever exercised faith or even began to grow a little bit, then surely your growth has nothing to do with how much God loves you. So I don't want you guys to, to, to get that twisted at all. Uh, growth also is not affected or has anything to do with how long you've been a Christian. I know people who have been in church or been proclaiming faith in Jesus for 20 years, and ever since I've known them, maybe, I, maybe they've changed since um, they initially came to faith, and I just didn't know them then, but I have not seen any change in these people's lives, anything that I can notice anyway. I'm not saying that it's not there, but I'm saying that being a Christian or spiritually growing has nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. Don't, don't buy that. Um, Spiritual growth is also not head knowledge. And what I mean by head knowledge is, and, and I, th- I have a problem with doing this, and I think some of you here at Rev might have a problem with this too, um, thinking that I'm spiritually mature because I study the Bible all the time, and I'm spiritually mature because I read a bunch of books on theology, and I can name drop a million theologians, and I'm a doctrine nerd and stuff like that. And that's all true about me, but that just means that you've studied the Bible like a textbook, which is phenomenal. It's, it, it can help you grow spiritually, but that is not spiritual growth. Make no mistake, Satan has better theology than I ever will. Um, If we were just going to teach a a class on doctrine, Satan has that on lock. He just hates Jesus. So your, your head knowledge of the Bible has nothing to do with growing spiritually. And lastly, your activity, right? Like the things you do in service can be indicators of spiritual growth, but make no mistake, you can do those for the wrong reasons, and those have nothing to do with you growing spiritually, um, but they can be a good measure of, of your growth because, you know, growth on the inside produces action on the outside. So that's what spiritual growth is not. So what is spiritual growth then? Before we get into that, I like to do this. Um, let's think about what the Bible says that we are. Uh, the Bible says a lot of things about us since we've come to faith in Jesus. For those, of us, for those of us who have exercised faith in Jesus and trust him for our salvation, the Bible says that we are a new creation in Christ. Um, that we, uh, that our old self was crucified with Jesus on the cross. So me, uh, atheist Dave, adulterous Dave, uh, dope smoking, drunk all the time, womanizing, awful, graceless Dave was crucified with Jesus. And just like Jesus uh, was risen to life, I have new life in Jesus, that I am a new person. I'm not the same person that I used to be, and neither are you. Um, That I am no longer a slave to sin, that you are no longer slaves to sin, but that we're actually slaves to Jesus, and we're slaves to righteousness, and how before all we could do was wickedness, now we actually have the capacity to do good because the Holy Spirit lives in us, that we've been adopted into God's family, that we are now sons and daughters of God, and that we have been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And just as he was raised to new life, we receive new life. So I want you guys to know about all those things that I just said. Those aren't, like, that's not, you can be a new creation, It's not, if you grow enough, 
then you were raised to new life. The moment that you believed and put your faith in Jesus, this is who you are now as far as God's concerned. If, so if that's who God says you are, and God's always right, no matter how you feel, all right, this is who you are. You're a new person. You're not a slave to your own sin. You've been united with Christ. So what is growth then? Growth is bringing our lives, bringing our wills, our thoughts, our desires, our actions, everything that we are into line with who God says we already are. That's what spiritual growth is. And it takes a long time and it's not going to be done until we're dead. But it's matching who I am with Christ, who I am in Christ with how I live daily. Uh, Being conformed more and more and more to the image and likeness of Jesus. To reflect his virtues, to put on Christ more every day, to become more obedient and holy, hating sin, serving others more. That's what it means to grow, just to be who God already says that you are. Which sounds kind of trippy and hippie-like, right? It's kind of like matrixy. It's kind of weird. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks like that. I'm not as funny as I think I am. Um, found that out every single week that I preach, I might add. I'm not nearly as funny as I think I am. And Brady's not here to give me an amen, so I'm kind of... <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> All right, so if that's what growth is and what growth isn't, then what keeps us from growing? What keeps us from growing? It sounds simple enough, right? If you've been a Christian for like a week, it sounds simple. Like, Growth sucks. Like, amen? Thank you. It hurts. It's terrible. Denying yourself, being more conformed to, the, to who Jesus is because we are so unlike him. It's rough. It can, but why is it so hard to grow sometimes or it seems that way? Now, I personally, I've noticed three reasons why people seem like they are stuck and that they can't grow. And these hit myself or these hit me too. Um, the first one is we don't study scripture. Raise your hand in here if anyone thinks they read their Bible enough. (laughs) Me either. It's cool. Like, it's not cool. (laughs) It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not, what is it, Matt Chandler always says, it's it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. Take that one with you. That one's pretty cool. Um, I didn't come up with that. He's a way better preacher than me. Um, Yeah. (laughs) for real. That is for real. Um, but not reading scripture. All right. Um, go with me on this. If, if we, if spiritual growth is being more conformed to who Jesus is and growing to be more like Jesus and who God says that we already are, then how can we know what God or who God says we are if we have no idea what God has said about us? How can we avoid the things that God hates if we don't know what God hates? How can we do the things that God wants us to do if we don't know what God has commanded us to do? It makes no sense. It's stupid. Right? Like, I thought of this this morning. It's like, anyone ever put together Ikea furniture? Yeah, go ahead and laugh. It sucks. It's terrible. Again, I'm like, yep, babe, I got this, Autumn. I'm going to put your furniture together for you. Throw those instructions away. I don't need that. And don't let the beard fool you. I have no idea how to put anything together. Are you out of your mind? Um, no, I'm not handy at all. So yeah, it's like throw the instructions. Whenever I'm done, like the panels are facing the wrong way, the shelf's wobbly. I got four extra screws. We put a book on the shelf and the whole mother collapses. It's terrible. But that, that's, that kind of dumb is what it is to think that you're going to be a Christian and you have no idea the things God said in the scripture. It's that kind of dumb. It makes no sense. It's like to not know anything about fixing things or putting things together and yet trying to put a whole house full of furniture together with no instructions. 
makes no sense whatsoever. And God's spoken to us through Scripture. This is God's Word preserved for us, handed down to us, so that we can know everything that we need to know about living a pleasing life to God. About salvation, about holiness, about His commands of what to avoid, His commands of what to do. And how we can show Him gratitude for what He's done. Now, I'll say this. I know a lot of you guys, uh, I like hand raising. I don't know why. Who in here is kind of afraid of Scripture? Like, I don't know if I'm really going to understand everything that I'm reading, so I kind of don't want to try. I've been there. Actually, like any, anyone that's honest will say that they've been there. Um, so go with me here. I actually, I have a group of dudes that I can go to that have been doing this Christian thing a whole lot longer than I have, that have been studying the Bible a lot longer than me. And there's a group of guys that I can go to personally, and I used to do this a lot, and I still do this today, that I can say, hey, dude, what does this mean? What do you think this means? Can you direct me to some resources, like some commentaries or whatever, so I can study this myself and get to know this better? I encourage you guys, find people who have been a Christian longer than you, that study more than you, and be able to go to these people. Even if it's just one person, even if it's me, I don't care. Find someone, don't, don't ever read something in Scripture and just let it fly, because everything that God says is important. We need to know. It can have huge implications on our life. Um, so I encourage you, don't, don't be ashamed, don't be afraid. Um, like one of the things the, the eunuch in the book of Acts said is, how can I know what I'm reading and understand what I'm reading if no one teaches me? Scripture can be hard, straight up. It can be really hard. Um, but genuinely, it is ridiculous to think that we can know God without knowing what he said. Or that we can know how to bring God glory or become like Jesus if we have no idea who Jesus is. Because only Scripture is going to tell us who Christ was, or is, rather, and the things that he said. But the, that's the first one. The second thing is we don't pray. And I'm, I'm guilty of this one. Probably more than a lot of you. I'm just being real here. I, I don't pray enough. We don't pray enough. Now, praying is not uh, just asking God for stuff, right? He's not like a cosmic vending machine. Like, A7, Lord. Yes, Dave, Mercedes, right away. I'll get you that right now. It doesn't work that way. God's not a cosmic vending machine. Uh, prayer is, is our being in communication with God, asking for his guidance and asking for his will to be done, considering who he is, trying to find out why he does the things that he does. And you're not always going to get an answer, but trying to meditate on God and see who he is. Um, and I'll say this too, and some of you might disagree with this. Prayer is not for God. Prayer is for us. And I'm not trying to sound like Joel Osteen's wife. Anyone see that terrible video on the internet? You worship God for you, not for God. That's terrible. But prayer actually is, is for us. We don't pray to change God's mind. We pray so that our mind begins to be changed by who God is. You know, whenever I pray, at least, I'm often reminded when I'm asking God for help in a certain area, or what do I do? I begin to remember things that I've studied in Scripture. The, oh, well, God is like this, and he's still good. And even when I can't see that he's good with someone sick in my family, I still know that he sent Jesus to die in my place. So uh, you begin to recall things you've read in Scripture. You begin to think about the attributes of God and his goodness and how he's got your back and he's going to help you through this. And your mind begins to change and be like, hey, it's more about his will than mine. That's the whole point of prayer. We begin, we begin to, whenever we pray, we truly begin to understand our dependency on God. Whenever we pray prayers of thankfulness, God, thank you for giving me X. I wouldn't have got it without you. And you're reminding yourself that. Or help me with this because I cannot do this on my own. I am wholly dependent on you and our minds begin to change. We pour everything out to God. Our successes, our failures, 
everything that we are. How can we expect to grow spiritually if we never talk to our Father? It doesn't make any sense. Another thing that we do is we aren't in community. We aren't in community enough. Like we have small groups here. We have three Bible studies on campus. I think there's one or two others. I'm a terrible pastor, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure where they meet. I can get you the info, though, if you guys don't want to go down on campus. I strongly encourage you guys get in small groups because that's community. We need people to hold us accountable. Like, hey, brother, I can see that you're messing up here, man. I can see, I've heard things that you're doing with your girlfriend, or, man, I heard you were out at the pub, and I heard you were hammered, and that doesn't line up with Scripture, right? So, like, let's, you're, you're going off track. Let's get you back on, right? That's what we do in small groups is we hold one another accountable. We, we develop connections and bonds with people so that we can go to them and ask them to pray for us and ask them to struggle with us. Something else that we do uh, whenever we're in community is, I don't know if you guys have ever read the Proverbs, it says, Iron sharpens iron. It's also a really good metal song uh, by Every Time I Die, you should look it up. Um, <laughs> dumb. Um, but iron sharpens iron. Whenever we meet in small groups, we, we get these relationships that we need so we can, hey man, I was, I was reading in scripture yesterday, what do you think that this means for, uh, how should I apply this to my life every day? Because Jesus taught it and it's applicable to every situation every day. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And we sharpen one another with scripture. We sharpen one another holding each other accountable. Right, the whole birds of a feather thing, like we need to be together because if you're not in community, who's going to hold you accountable whenever you're going off the tracks? Like, I use, I use the analogy of, like, the road bumps on the side of the road. Like, they're super annoying whenever you're awake, but whenever you've fallen asleep and you're heading off the road, there's things to save your life. Who's going to hold you accountable if you're not in community, if you have no one you can go to? Who's going to sharpen you? Because you're probably not going to sharpen yourself, if we're going to be totally honest. Who's going to sharpen you with the word if you're not in community? Who's going to struggle with us whenever we feel like no one else is there if we don't have any godly men and women for friends to struggle with us? Okay, so we've talked about what keeps us from growing. We've talked about what growth is and what it isn't. So the question is, how do we grow? I know what most of you are thinking, right? Like, read your Bible, pray, and get in a small group. It's not that easy. It's it's actually kind of easier, to be totally honest. I I don't do self-help preaching. Like, hey, if you do these five steps, you get this. Like, you will spiritually grow if you do these three things. Those three things are excellent. They will help you grow immensely. I I strongly encourage all of you to go in there. But I don't do the televangelist self-help preaching because we are way, way too wicked for that. We are way too wicked to help. You can't save yourself. What makes you think you can help yourself? Like, what makes you think that, like, following, like, this list, if I just do this thing that this other sinner told me to do, like, it'll, everything will work out, and I'm going to, no, that's not how it works. We're too wicked for that. Those three things are not the answer, but they can make you way more effective than you are now. But here's the answer. Dwelling on and internalizing the gospel, making the good news of Jesus real to you, is the root of spiritual growth. Everything hinges on that one thing. Whenever we begin to, to think on who God is, right? whenever we begin to think and, and make the gospel real for us, not just a story, not just a set of points, but whenever the gospel truly becomes real to us, we will experience growth. Whenever we really begin to meditate on who God is, his holiness, he's always righteous, he never sins, he doesn't tempt us to sin, he is all good, he is more innocent than anything you can fathom. He is pure. 
You begin to reflect on that goodness of God. And then juxtaposed to that, you begin to dwell on our own wretchedness. That there's this huge chasm between us and God because we are sinners and we rebel against God every single day. Our thoughts, things that we don't even do, just our thoughts are rebellious enough to damn us to hell because then we begin to think about God's justice. Sin must be punished because God is good and holy and pure and he can have nothing to do with sin. And his justice damns us. But then we begin to think about the love of God through Jesus. And this whole thing begins to come full circle. I am a wretch. God is good. Justice demands my condemnation. But God loves me too much to leave me there. He wants to save me. Because he loves like that. Not only that, he doesn't just make a way for me to be saved. He effectively saves me by sending Jesus to live a sinless life. And then taking my sin on himself suffers the wrath of God as a substitute in my place. So that God's justice can be done and his love and mercy for me still be shown. And then just as Jesus was raised to new life three days later... I have a promise that I'm made a new creation and have new life and that whenever I die, I will live forever in the next life with Jesus. When we really begin to make that real in our lives, everything changes. Our desires begin to change because we see that how holy God is and how wretched we are. We begin to understand the value of holiness that God desires from us. So much that in order to bring us to himself, he had to take his wrath out on his son. We begin to understand God's standards of holiness and we begin to desire to want to be like that because we realize how far away we are from that. We begin to see the sin and wickedness in our hearts and how much needs changed within us. And we desire to be more like this God that loves us. And we do it out of a heart of thankfulness. Like Paul says, you grow your roots down into Christ. And learning more of the truth. It's this overflow of thankfulness that you want to be like Jesus. He becomes your superhero. That's who you want to emulate. That's who you want to imitate. And I'll tell you guys this. Raw willpower that I'm going to do these three things. And I'm just going to not sin anymore. And I'm just not going to do this other stuff. It doesn't work like that. Raw willpower will get you to a point And then you'll cave in on yourself because you're not doing it for the right reasons. And you are not strong enough to override your own sin. The only thing that is going to change us is to allow our stony hearts to be melted by the good news of Jesus, by God's love for us and turn into a heart of flesh so that we desire to be like God, that we desire to be like Jesus and be conformed to his image. Whenever that happens, our heart's cry becomes obedience, even when our actions don't match it yet. That might sound weird to some of you guys, but I'm telling you the truth. If your heart doesn't change first, your actions will never change. Everything goes down to heart change. If you just stop watching porn, but in your heart you've lusted, what, ground, what, what improvement have you made? But to understand the holiness of God and how much he loves you and what it took for you to be forgiven for lust in every situation took Jesus coming and satisfying God's wrath for your sin. Your heart begins to change out of thankfulness. 
So, you know, right now, if any of you guys in here don't know Jesus, if I, I, I'll ask any, any non-believer in here, surrender your stony heart to the gospel. Let it be melted by what Jesus has done for you and how much God loves you. Surrender yourself to him and begin to grow with us because I'm not there yet. No one here is there yet. It's not that these standards are too hard and I can't live that life because I'm not perfect because no one is. It's just this desire to be more like Jesus even when you're not there yet. That's what God wants from you. He'll take care of the rest. So if any of you guys uh, want this explained more to you, um, this gospel message, this good news of what Jesus did or who he is and what he's done for you. Come see me after the service. Or we'll have a couple people over here by the couches during worship music. We want to talk with you. We want to explain this more. We want to pray with you. But believe. Trust that Jesus did that for you and begin to follow him out of thankfulness. But for those of us who do follow Jesus, measuring our growth can be really hard sometimes. Right? Like if I look last week and compare myself last week to today, I'm not going to see anything. Just to be totally real, I'm not going to see anything. You know, trying to, spiritual growth is not measured day to day. If you try to do that, it's poison. It's, it's long periods of time that you begin to see a change um, in how you think and a change in the things that you do. Like I talked to a, a really godly guy this week, uh, love him to death. He told me, yeah, dude, I used to have a huge anger problem. And I would have never guessed that in a million years from this guy. He's been following Jesus for a good long while. And he said, yeah, man, whenever I, uh, whenever I first became a Christian, someone would tick me off. And just five seconds later, I'd blow up on him. And I could only hold it in for a few seconds. And then over time, I realized, you know, I'm holding it in for 10 seconds. And I'm holding it in for 30 seconds until... I'm at the point now where I still get mad, but I don't yell at anyone anymore. I don't cuss anyone anymore. I keep my cool, and it took me 20-some years to get here. I'm not making an excuse for sinning or prolonged sin or anything, but spiritual growth takes time. Sanctification, being made holy, being made more like Jesus, is a process, and it's never over until you're dead. So look back over the last year of your life and say, how much different am I now in my thinking and my actions than I was a year ago? I'll tell you this, and if you can't see anything, if you really can't see anything, you need to reassess what does the gospel mean for you? Um, how, How much have you internalized this message? How real have you made it to yourself? You know, reassess that. You know, we, we're supposed to grow in our love of God, which means our obedience to him and our, and our love of other people, which means service to others. But I'll say this, even whenever you feel defeated, because I've been there. Man, I've been there. Like, I cannot get over this sin. I cannot change. There's nothing I can do to get rid of this in my life. I, I, I want to share something with you guys. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, even when you feel defeated... And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's not going to leave you where you're at. He refuses. He loves you too much to leave you where you're at. Not only has he saved you, but he wants to make you like his son. That is the end goal of everything that God's doing for you. He wants you to bring him glory by making you more and more like his son. He will not leave you where you're at. Trust that. 
That, that should push us with even more thankfulness and even more gratitude that he loves us enough that he's not going to leave us there. It should push us to desire to grow, to desire to be like Jesus. But I'll pose this question for you guys. How effective for the gospel would the worldwide church be if we all began to bring our lives in line with who Jesus says we already are because of our faith in him? The implications of that are staggering. The poor would be taken care of everywhere. The outcast would be loved and have friends. People around us would be able to look at us and see, wow, since they started claiming faith in this Jesus guy, they're not the same person that they were. They don't like the same things that they once liked. They don't do the same things that they once did. What happened? The unlovable would be loved. The oppressed would be defended. But more importantly than anything, the power of God through the love of Jesus Christ would be made known to everyone in our words and in our deeds. The implications of that world is staggering. So let's be effective. Make the gospel real to ourselves. Let's be effective. Growing in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us and how much God loved us and how awful and wretched and hostile towards God that we once were, but that God brought us near to him through Jesus because he loved us too much to damn all of us. And I'll leave you guys with this. In the, in the first and second century, some things um, they would call us, they would call us little Christs. I challenge everyone here. Let's grow so much that we can take our old nickname back again. Let's pray. Father, you're good. And, and we aren't. Um, we, are, we are sinners, and we don't deserve to be able to, to talk to you. We don't deserve to, to be able to understand anything about you. And yet, through Jesus, you have made yourself known to us. That you don't want to leave us where we were. That you sent Jesus to ransom us and rescue us and bring us to you so that we would be saved. And I thank you for that above anything else. Um, Father, I pray, that, I pray that we take your scripture and, and the things that you have to say about growth and, and gratitude and thankfulness. And, and let that push us because we love you so dearly for what you've done. Let that set us on fire so that we want to be more like Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Father, you're worth it. And, and I thank you for saying that you're not going to leave us where we're at, that you've sealed us by the Holy Spirit and that you're going to bring us to be more like Christ. You will not leave us where we're at and that we can conquer sin because of what Jesus has done, that we're no longer slaves. God, I just pray that you help us to make that real and live like it's true because it is. Jesus, you're, you're worthy of all worship. I thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.